Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. It's the wrestling talk that happens after they kick us off the air. It's the finishing move, the dark matches. And now here's your hosts, Big John Radcliffe, the road dog, Adam Gillespie, and the bearded wrestling fan, Chris Caldwell. Good evening. Welcome to another edition of The Finishing Move. Dark Matches. Big John Radcliffe along with my tag team partner, Chris Colwell. Joining you once again, post Hell in the Cell, pre-finishing move that you can hear every Thursday on Extra 106.3. Colwell, how are you this evening, sir? I am very good. Glad to be back here on the dark matches. And, uh, well, this is clearly going to be a bound for glory review, right? That's what we're doing here on this here podcast impact wrestling bound for glory. You know, honestly, I am kind of happy that Eric Young won. Um, that Eric Young won. Didn't EY win on bound for glory? EY did not win at bound for glory. Lynn Swan. No, his name's Rich Swan. He's a former cruiserweight champion in WWE, part of Two Hundred Five Live. Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock won his match over Eddie Edwards. Yes. Jordan Grace. Jordan Grace was unsuccessful in the uh, six-person scramble match for the X Division title. Yes, Jordan Grace tried to be the new Tessa Blanchard and did not win. Who won then? Uh, Ro- Rohit Raju retained his title. God bless you. <laughs> so, you know, supposedly he's related in some way, roundabout way to Jinder Mahal. Oh, boy. In some way, it's the, in it, they're both Canadians, even on they're of Indian heritage, so they're Indian Canadians. So. And, and even though they gave us Bound for Glory for free, I did not tune in as just to... I oh, they didn't give it to us for free. They, they gave Impact Plus away or had a free trial of it for the weekend, but the pay-per-views do not air on there. So you would have still had to drop 40 bucks to, to get that show. I'm not paying 40 bucks for that. And no disrespect to <laughs> the friend of the show, Moose. Oh, yeah. No, no disrespect to friend of the show, Moose. And honestly, I love the storyline. I even applaud them for what they're doing with him and EC3. Mm-hmm. With the uh, with, with the more dramatic matches, and kudos to them for that. But in the same vein, I'm not there yet. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. It's a tough sell right now, with especially when you look at, you know, would you have paid forty dollars for a TNA pay per view back, you know, ten years ago? I certainly, if you had given me a good card, would have looked, wouldn't have even thought two things about it. I would have got it because that was a different brand. It's now, you know, that second third tier kind of brand you know, trying to work its way back up as impact wrestling you know tna was the number two promotion back you know 10 15 years ago and i was paying that much for a pay-per-view back then but it was different you had kurt angle you had sting you had aj styles you had all these names and they're very much that you know they're they're the they're kind of more like ring of honor than they used to be you know they're they're the up-and-comers, they've got the guys that maybe you don't know about or maybe they're the guys that are trying to – maybe they didn't succeed. Like an Eric Young didn't make it in WWE because, you know, for stupid reasons, at EC3, same way that should they have gotten the push, should they have gotten better position? Absolutely. But they're kind of the, the cast-offs that maybe weren't quite right for AEW, but now they get a shot in Impact Wrestling. So it's – I mean, 
unfortunately for them, you know, they're not where they were a long time ago. And $40 is a lot to ask for a pay-per-view in, in these day and age when AEW is asking for just $15 more and they're on TNT every week. So I think there's and a big did, difference. And I, I'm not discrediting what they do. One of the things that impact, as you can see, for long-time listeners of The Finishing Move or anyone who's ever bugged a conversation between myself and Colwell, we get off on these very weird tangents from time to time. <laughs> yes, so we do. Join us. We're, we're going somewhere with this. Impact Wrestling, you're right. 15 years ago, I think Aces and Eights, I think they booked it to start perfectly. I think as it went along, they, they messed up along the way because they had an opportunity to do something really big there, and, and they stumbled over it. Uh, even so much so, I was a fan of um, Fortune. Oh, hand in there. No. Fortune. Fortune with, uh, 4. Yeah, with, with uh, AJ Styles, Kazarian, uh, uh, Christopher Daniels. I think they had something beer money. there. It, it, yeah, beer money. I think they just, the end result, the final end of the tail end with it, it meandered off. And I think that's where they struggled a lot for me towards the end. The early portions of it. When you know the X division, the X division title was held, was held above was above the ring. First of all, let me rewind the take before that. Back when they had the octagon, before Hogan, before Bischoff, the six sided ring. Yes, but when they had the six sided ring, that's when they were. It was unique. It was different. Yes. It did give you the mindset of MMA, but it was like you know what? You're kind of mixing the two, and it was kind of nice. And I think that when they got away from that, I feel like that's when things kind of, and it had its peaks and valleys. So yes, I would have done that back then, but I think they fell short so many different times with putting the pretty little bow on stories that it just kind of, it kind of lost its interest. Well, and the thing with them is, man, they were with storylines that had a good uh, premise to it. Like go back to the, the the onset of the main event mafia storyline what was supposed to be the correct version of what they tried to do Vince Russo tried to do in WCW with the Millionaires Club and the New Blood this was supposed to be now the now the old guys are trying to hold on to their spot and they're going to cheat to do it and try to hold down the the young guys which is the correct way to try to do that storyline and it got off to a great start with how you even got Sting of all people to be part of the main event mafia you know this beloved babyface well, he's even got a you know an actual reason to be part of this group, so it was a good storyline in the infancy. But then along the way, he just didn't know how to collectively keep it going, and eventually, you know, you didn't get that payoff of you know the young guys toppled this group because really it just you didn't really have a good opposition, and they didn't develop it well enough. And it was kind of the same way for the main event mafia, or not the main event mafia, but the uh, aces and eights storyline. I thought it had a great slow build. Once Bully Ray was uh, was revealed to be the leader, you know, it was it was good at that point. But then, you know, he started adding Tidor keys to it, uh, you know, because <laughs> you wanted to have the MMA crossover. And then you had you tried to recreate the main event mafia to oppose them. But it was, oh, you know what? That might be foreshadowing to a topic we're getting into this podcast. But it was the rebirth of the main event mafia in this situation that was kind of like a dud because all you had was Kurt Angle. And Sting from the original version. You didn't have Booker T, you didn't have Scott Steiner, you didn't have Kevin Nash. You brought in Magnus, who had never been a world champion, didn't fit in that group. And you had Samoa Joe. And then they added um, Rampage Jackson, of all people, 
which again, it's just, you, you made it stupid. It was kind of like, you know, as cool as it was to see Rodman, you know, teaming with Hogan and everything back in the day, did Rodman really belong in the NWO? And it was kind of like, really? Uh, okay. So same kind of deal. Rodman joining the NWO, it, it gave, uh, to me, it gave pro wrestlers legitimacy as respected by other athletes. It, it was the same. I wasn't a fan of Lawrence Taylor in the Bam Bam Bigelow match at, I can't remember what WrestleMania number it was, but Lawrence Taylor taking on Bam Bam Bigelow. It was the respect of other athletes respect pro wrestling because you've had other athletes that they're, you know, they use that, they use the F word. I know what F word I'm talking about, but they, they, they use that word. And I think right. you had that there. But what Impact Wrestling did is something that WWE, to me, this weekend with Hell in a Cell, they did right. Right. They, they, they put a bow on a story that is going to be able to continue on, which is shocking that it was the first match of the night, but it, I, I liked everything about it, and it actually has me intrigued to see where it's going to continue to go because you had Roman Reigns take on, take on Jimmy Uso, Jay Uso, one of the Usos, I forget which Uso it is. You had him take him on, and that being the first match of the night, you know, Cole and I, if you, if you guys are long-term listeners to the finishing move, the finishing move, the dark matches, one of the things we always talk about is when not only just telling the story in the ring and what the work you do in the ring, but it's also telling a story that continues on itself. And with Roman Reigns winning and the way that he did it, and people can say whatever you want. And for you guys who are wondering, we're going to continue this on the finishing move on Extra 106.3. You'll be able to hear it uh, this coming Thursday. 7 to 8 p.m. Um, what Roman Reigns did, and with, bo- with both Usos, it's a story that still has me intrigued. It has me compelled. And I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to enjoy it as much as the buildup of it is going because I like what I'm seeing right now from that match. First of all, let me give one little credit to one thing. And, Coel, let me tell me, I want to hear your thoughts on the match and also on this. With what they're doing in the Thunderdome, where now you can hear them talking to each other in the ring. I love it. I love every bit of that. Now that storytelling can continue on a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. And for that match, I mean, I think it's, and I I talked a little bit, I think, I think we touched on this on the other guys podcast that myself and uh, David Holloway, the intern of the finishing move we did recently, uh, talking about we actually broke down Bound for Glory, so you can check that out on our Twitter page. But um, I think we talked a little bit about this, that it, it's a, an example of how, you know what, when you look at it on paper, a Roman Reigns-Jey Uso match for the Universal Championship makes zero sense. It doesn't, you know, Jey Uso's not in Roman Reigns' league. It, it's not a match that's going to sell pay-per-views, but it's not about the credibility of Jey Uso. It's about the story. And it, to me, it's a glaring example. At the end of the day, yes, epic matchups on paper look great on paper. But when sometimes when the story is not there, the match doesn't click, and nor does anybody end up caring in the end. There's been plenty of matches over the years that just had an incredible storyline to it that you didn't think about it you know, on paper as, oh, man, this is going to be an epic match. It's going to be a great match. No, the story was great. You know, an example in my mind that I think back to WrestleMania 22, Shawn Michaels versus Vince McMahon of all people. Great story and a great finish. 
And it has still ended up being a great match because it was booked correctly with the right storyline. And this is another example of that. I mean, the storytelling is just amazing with Roman Reigns right now. It's fantastic. Um, and yeah, you're right with, with the, the close up with the audio where you can hear it just, yeah, it adds more intrigue because it feels like, and I said this when we talked about the last pay-per-view match at Clash of Champions, how it felt like a movie scene. It felt like something out of, and I compared it to Black Panther. It's kind of the, the whole tribal thing with, that was going on there. It reminded me a lot of that. Yes, Wakanda forever. Absolutely. Uh, as Big John does that on the other side of the screen from me here. (laughs) But (laughs) um, yeah, it has that same feel to it. And just hearing them actually have the dialogue within the match makes it feel even more like a fight scene, less like it's just a, you know, traditional wrestling match. And I'm going to get back to the match here real quick. You know what else it feels like in being and hearing that? It feels like an evolution in wrestling. Because for years in wrestling, you had to cut a promo. You had to do, you had to have the microphone and you had to get out. You had to grab the microphone and you'd hear the occasional, you know, Chris Jericho was really good about, he could yell it. You know, Roman Reigns would do, ooh, ah. You could hear that grunt, that, that barbaric. Come on, baby. Yes. (laughs) You could hear those things. But now you actually hear a dialogue, you hear a conversation. It seems like an evolution of wrestling of now you can hear the trash talking in the ring and kudos, you know, for you guys who don't know, Chris and I, uh, I guess the best way to we'll describe ourselves is audio professionals. <laughs> and, uh, the fact that they're able to cut the mics, let them do their, do their spots in the match. We don't hear those. We know what they're doing. We don't hear their spots in the match. And then the mics come back on to, you know, what are you doing? What happened? Mm-hmm. You, want it. you hear that dialogue. It seems like an evolution of wrestling. But I digress from that because I'm really enjoying every ounce of that right now. And I'm looking forward, hoping that WWE can continue on to be with that. But that match itself, I even tweeted it out. You can follow me at John Rad 450 You can follow Chris at Bearded Colwell. Hey, right? look at you. Look at there. Very nice. Look at there. WWE finally gets some stuff right. I finally get that right. <laughs> Very <laughs> well done. Yes, long the Twitter handle's been the same for well over 400 days. I now will have forever have the lead over Bailey because she's no longer champion. Hey. Gotta get to that one too because honestly, I have my my opinions on that one. But with oh. it, with, oh boy, with Uso and uh, Roman Reigns, I was very pleased. I'm intrigued to see what happens. I hope it pans out to be exactly something that we talked about where the tribe comes together and we actually get to see Usos, Roman Reigns. I'd love to see Tamina be a part of this as well. Mm-hmm. Naomi, they're not doing anything. Bring the family together. Let them become this heel faction. You've already seen that you've gotten the elders involved and the head trinkers coming out. Bring Rikishi back and let's let them, let's see what we can get out. Of. Sure. Yeah. I thought that, man, that was that was such an awesome touch with Offensica out there. That was that oh. was so great. I mean, I thought that was that was just a I don't know. That just added to it after everything we had seen. But you're right. You know, the, I almost feel like, and I know you've been very critical and rightfully so because he's, he's not great at it. But Roman Reigns still kind of being on the mic, even when he's got Paul Heyman at his side. But what where Roman Reigns may be shown to be and excel in in the storytelling maybe very well in the ring with the trash talking 
that you're getting to hear now. And that may be where his way of vocalizing himself and voicing his his character may be best done is in the ring and not in front of a microphone during a promo. That's what you have Heyman for. I mean, this may be where, you know, like you said, it's an evolution of what we may be seeing going forward in wrestling. And I think it's a good, good, good evolution. But that may be something that really benefits Roman, uh, Roman Reigns moving forward. And, yeah, the storyline, man, you could really go for it. I'm glad that they did on the pre-show where they have Heyman interviewed prior to clarifying exactly what the consequences were. Because I don't think they did a great job of explaining that on SmackDown, that if Jey Uso lost, it did it, – Basically, all they said there was, you'll be disowned from the family. Correct. Instead, it, they brought it back at the pay-per-view saying, oh, no, this means that now you have to do what Roman says and acknowledge yeah. him as, as the tribal chief. They didn't even do a very good job of it because uh, for those of you who guys who missed it, uh, Friday Night SmackDown was on FS1 due to the World Series. What channel? And, I've never heard of this channel. Yeah, it's hard to find. Trust me. I, I, had to really <laughs> find I found Impact Wrestling before I found that. Oh, hey, good for you, man. I'm glad you finally found it. <laughs> and then following it, they had Talking Smack came back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it needs to go what again. Oh, it, but that, it, no. I digress. Did you not it, like Talking it, Smack? The original no. version? Really? I like the, I like the original version. Okay. I like the original version. I did not like this version. They had um, uh, Street Profits, Montel. Montez? Uh, Montez, yes. They had Montez Ford. They had uh, Booker T. And um, Caleb Caleb Braxton is the host. Yeah, it needs to go away. It's not very good. It's not (laughs) a very good show. Um, But anyway, but I love that story. Does that that just show how good Renee Young is and and was that the original version was great? It didn't really matter who you partnered her with. That's how great she yes. was at doing those little panel things. Yeah, Kayla's got a little ways to go, but right now, I, I don't know. I guess that's a good thing it's on the network and not on television Here, on a regular basis. Here's why Kayla Braxton was good at it. It is not good at it, and Renee was. Renee could do commentary on a match, so she knew how to play off of her second mic, which in this instance was Booker T. And she knew how to drag the third person into it because, you know, she got a chance to do it with Daniel Bryant, which Daniel Bryant... From a personality standpoint, not my cup of tea. But on a microphone, not half bad. He right. just sounds he sounds like you're talking to your doctor. Yes, as Cole does, does the yes, yes, yes movement. But she just doesn't know how to play to her second mic. And Booker T had to carry the show. And Montez Ford was just kind of sitting there. He's just kind of... He doesn't have the experience in this spot. And, and you're exactly right. And it, it was... To some degree, if they're going to do it, if they're going to keep it going, and for, once again, you guys are listening to the finishing move, the dark matches, we go down a lot of weird rabbit holes. <laughs> um, Maybe we should call the show The Rabbit Hole. Finish your move, The Rabbit Hole. The Rabbit Hole. Um, and if they're going to continue it, they need to let Booker T just go all the way in as the heel because he insulted Montez Ford. He took shots at Sasha, uh, at Sasha Banks. He kind of he kind of likes Daniel Bryan. He nuzzled up to Daniel Daniel Bryan because Daniel Bryan gave him kudos. Hey, he's always been in, uh, Daniel Bryan's always been in his fave five. He used to say that all yeah. the time. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, he doesn't even call him Daniel Bryan. D Bryan, D Bryan, yeah. <laughs> oh, but I digress. Uh, but back to Hell in a Cell. My match of the night was Sasha Banks and Bailey. It was the 
match of the night for me. I expected Sasha Banks to deliver. She did. I expected Bailey to deliver. She did. The creativity, the storytelling, the way that they literally used every square inch of that ring in every way, shape, form, or fashion. I'm going to make a bold statement. I don't feel like it's too bold, but I'll make a bold statement. We just watched two future Hall of Famers in a Hell in a Cell match. Oh, I have no doubt in my mind on that one. I think all in the end of the day, all four of the four horsewomen will end up being Hall of Famers. But, I mean, that match was off the page. It was great. Uh, it was interesting to see, because this is the first time we've seen the heel Bailey up against the babyface Sasha Banks. In the past, we've always seen the heel Sasha Banks against that upstart ba- babyface Bailey. So it was interesting to see the kind of switch of dynamic there. And I think it still worked. And, and obviously, Hill himself and, and what you can do inside that match uh, really helped tell that story. I really enjoyed the match. I will say this, though. I'm always going to be partial to take over Brooklyn when it comes to their matches and how good, you know, which ones stand out. The takeover Brooklyn match where Bailey wins the title, I think part of what hurt this match compared to that one, and it's not by anybody's fault because we're in COVID times, but the raw emotion of a live crowd in Brooklyn when Bailey won that title was incredible. Uh, so I would still rank this one just a little bit below that, but man, they went all out. They put it all on the line. Um, I'm, <laughs> maybe it's because I'm a Bailey fan, but I kind of wanted to see her hold onto the belt longer. I, maybe make Sasha have to fight a little bit longer to get that title. You're not a Bailey fan. Victoria's a Bailey fan. Let's no, just I was honest. a Bailey fan first. I got her to like Bailey. Mrs. Colwell's the 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 Bailey fan. Yeah, and it just so happens you you know where the bread is buttered, so you 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 get on with the winning horse. Let's just be honest. About something. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I have to do that. Be smart. I felt like it was time. I felt like it was time for Bailey to pass the to to pass on the title. I felt like it. it kind of needed to happen and I liked the way that it happened. I felt like any longer at that point in time, Bailey had nothing left to prove. She she gave legitimacy to the title. She gave herself legitimacy as a heel and I felt like Sasha, because if I'm not mistaken, Sasha hasn't won a Hell in a Cell match against one of the four horse women. She no, she's, to- yeah, she was 0-2 going into that match. She needed that one to solidify herself as, that was the spot to solidify herself as that next champion because she needed that win she's lost to charlotte she's lost to to, uh to becky so at that point she needed that win more than i think bailey needed to keep it so i agreed with it completely uh if anything and also someone put it on social media and i love what they said and i don't know if it was by accident or if it was by coincidence or whatever where it gave a look back to Shawn michaels versus undertaker that's why ba- Sasha wore the white and Bailey wore the black. Where Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, I think it was WrestleMania. They had 25 when they 20, did Yeah, that. 24, 25, where they wore the white and black just to kind of show mm-hmm. those scenarios. I love if they really meant to do that, the homage that they did to it right there. I think it was a great look. I think it gave a great eye to it. And the fact that you got a chance to see Sasha be a high flyer or, or, or a high flyer without being a high flyer. Literally, the. Uh, the meteor into the into the cage, the power bomb into it, just everything that they did about it. Every bit of that story has been great. I I hope it actually is coming to an end. To be honest with you, and I hope they move on to 
maybe Bailey moves on to someone else. Sasha moves on to someone else for a little while. Well, and here's the thing. There's a well. We talk about the match itself. I think there's a reason why Sasha keeps getting this her third Hell in a Cell match. She's the only of the four horsewomen to be in all three women's Hell in a Cell matches. Right. You know, you've had Charlotte in the first one. You had uh, Becky Lynch the last one. And now here Bailey. I think it's because Sasha just works well in that environment because of the three, she kind of works that more high flying, reckless style, which is also added to her injury proneness. And I guess that's kind of my thing coming out of this was, yeah, I mean, storyline-wise, it made sense for, for Sasha to come away with it. And, yeah, Bailey's held the title. You know, she had it for over a year. She was closing in on 400 days. Um, she was probably, I think, like 20 days out when she lost the title uh, this past Sunday. But she, it was time, storyline-wise, and for Bailey to, to, to pass on that title. But... Was it not surprising you? Because you and I have talked about this in the past of how it seemed like there was not that that level of trust in her being a champion from the brass from Vince McMahon didn't seem to be there because Sasha has been shown to be injury prone and hasn't you know she'll she'll come back for a while and then she's got if she's around she's maybe not wrestling because she's got banged up here banged up there same thing with Alexa Bliss was it almost surprising to you to see Sasha actually be given the title here? the start of it, it, I had my doubts. But if you go back and you watch the match, the way that she wrestled that match and the moves that she did, they weren't normal to the way Sasha Banks has done in the previous cell matches. And what I mean by that is, look at the Meteora. It was less of her doing moves where she had to risk her body, and it was moves where you know, the ladder wasn't brought into play like it normally was. Things, certain movements, you can see that she's mature because before she's taken that bump of going through a table, she's taken that bump of falling off the top of the cell or off the side of the cell. She doesn't, and she's not a big lady. And I'm not trying to say that to be mean or, or, uh, or, or. No, she's the smallest of the four horsewomen. Yeah. And, and I'm not trying to say that to, you know, to objectify a woman in that manner. I'm saying that to say, in stature, she's just not a big woman, but she's taking moves that comparably right. to, to, to Mick Foley, <laughs> like Rikishi, Kevin Owens. Yeah, she shouldn't take those type of bumps, and she did in this match. And I think that's when I started to look at it as, they're going to let her win this because she's not taking the bumps like she did before. And they're trying to preserve her. And even her matches don't building up to this. She wasn't taking those kind of bumps. She she shown that she can take the hardcore style where you know she showed the the chair to the throat. So I think they they she's matured and I think WWE has a little bit more trust in her. And I think that you can't deny that on the microphone she's really good. So I think it was really cool and I hope she gets a long run with it, even if that leads back up to uh her meeting up with Charlotte again and the return of Charlotte and maybe somehow that story goes that program goes for a little while. <sighs> Oh, I, oh my goodness. I don't know if I want another Charlotte-Sasha Banks feud, but I, it's good to see a change of pace with SmackDown. And I personally, and I don't know, I might have been alone on this one with Bailey's character. You know, the heel character, it took a while to kind of get going, but for me, the last six months of it, she was incredible. Like, to me, it was, she became so annoying in the role that it was 
like a good annoying. It was, she just cried. She started to get to a point where she wasn't annoying to me anymore. She was funny to me in, a, in, in an annoying way. She just cracked me up left and right with just the way that she tried to be so over the top when she would be on commentary. We all know how it's like she was so bad at it that she was good at it. It was one of those things where it just worked in maybe it was just because, you know, she, she realized that, Hey, I'm not the smoothest talker in the world, but I can play into that and just be as over the top as I can be. And it'll work. And I think this title ring, man, really allowed her to do that. I'll be really curious how they can kind of keep that going moving forward with her because you figure at some point down the road, we're going to get a, a version of her that's going to come back to that face role. I just don't expect it to go full on hugger Bailey again. I think we passed no. that, that period, but, um, you know, where do you go from here? With if, if this is indeed the end of this feud, do you go, you know, who is up next for Sasha? Are you going to keep Sasha in the babyface role long-term, or was this just a, a short-term thing? Because I think Sasha is better as a heel, but she had to be the babyface in this match because Bailey's so much the monster heel. Who, who stands out as a heel on SmackDown right now that can really step up? Because uh, for me, you know, we're both fans of Bianca Belair. We want to see her step up, but she's positioned in a babyface role. Will you turn her heel or, you know, again, are you going to flip Sasha? Or is this a short run for Sasha like she's been known to have? That's the thing. Sasha does deserve a long, longer title reign because she's always gotten those short change title runs with Charlotte and all three of the title switches there and with Alexa Bliss when she beat her. Um and so to see Sasha actually get a little bit of a run would be nice. But at the same time, they've shown time and time again that they haven't given her long runs. Will they let her? Or are they going to end up – is Bailey going to end up with this title again, I guess, would be my question. I think you're going to see Bailey will end up with it again. Because you're right. They're doing a lot for Bianca Belair. And that's not to say Bianca Belair doesn't deserve it. She does. I'm a fan. But I think we're going to see Bailey end up with it again. Because you're right. When you look at it – I don't think Zelina Vega is ready. I'm a Zelina Vega fan. Don't get me wrong. She's not 100% there yet because I enjoy what she, I think she's an amazing wrestler. I think she needs more work on the mic, but. Ooh, I, I think just, she's good on the mic. I think that's, I think we're reversed on that. I think she needs work in the ring. I haven't been that impressed with her, her in ring work, but for Zelina, I think, man, she was, she was really good with Andrade. Mm, I think there needed to be more there. I think it was more of the, uh, she was almost to me like Lana, where the Latino in her and the Brooklyn in her, it interchanged. Lana was Russian some moments and some moments she was, she was American. And it was moments of, what are you? It was, Kofi, <laughs> it, it was uh, Triple H calling out Kofi Kingston saying, hey, I got a question. Well, she's supposed to be Jamaican. <laughs> you used to be Jamaican. <laughs> it's one of my. It's one of my favorite. It's a great uh, moment. <laughs> I think that's what I, I run into with her. But I'm a fan of hers. I was a fan of hers back when she was uh, with Impact Wrestling when she was with LAX. Mm-hmm. And um, but I think that's where we're going to go with that next. Um, but I think we will see another Bailey version there. I think the concern that I run into is if you watched Raw. Vince McMahon still has input. And I'm on a podcast. I'll say it. It's not like we're on the radio. Vince McMahon likes the pretty blonde that is willing to show a little extra skin. Mm-hmm. And they get the push. And I think that's what we're going to see is whether it is Peyton Royce or whether it is whoever. I don't, Lana. I don't know who, Lana, exactly. 
uh, Mandy Man- Rose. Mandy Rose. They're, I think they're done with Dana Brooks. The Dana Brooks experiment is over. Well, Dana Brooks not exactly one you go at and go, oh wow. <laughs> no, it's to Dana Brooks. It's not like she's a good athlete, Vince. but it's Vince. That's Vince true. has a look that he likes for a woman. You don't believe me? Go look at Table. Go you want to know who? You want to know who really? I think people have forgotten about, but when she got her big push and, and was kind of, you know, dominating the the women's d- divisions on both shows, Alexa Bliss was kind of in that mold because I don't think a lot of people saw her as this like dominating. She was never dominating as a champion, but she was very much the focal point of whichever brand she was on, and she wasn't really that at NXT. But when she got up to Raw and SmackDown, it was very much okay, we like this girl, let's push her. And I guarantee you that had a lot to do with it. Vince has a look of a woman that he likes. And when it comes down to it, that's who's going to get the push. And I, I think it'll reveal itself pretty quickly that, you know, someone got in his ear. I should really are good. Let's let this work out. Let's let this play out. But at some point in time, Vince is going to put his hand into it. And, uh-oh, let's find the pretty blonde that we can get involved with it. And I think that's where the the issues are going to come from. And that's where we're going to miss out. I even read a story, I, and I hope in terms of it, you know, with, with Sasha and the title, one way that I hope it actually ends up playing out is that uh, Charlotte comes back, Charlotte joins with Natalia, and they make a run for the women tag team titles, and they run rough shot through all three brands because the women tag team titles can be defended anywhere that they literally just run rub shot through all three, letting them know that Charlotte comes back in to do a solid to Natalia. Natalia, this completes you to get you a triple crown. And they just run rub shot. And they, and they give a young women's tag team a chance to make that next step. But for right now, I think that would be great. And I think you leave Sasha alone and maybe you even put her and Bailey back in the program for a little bit. I mean, maybe. And I love that tag team idea. I think that would really... I've said it when we were having the conversations about where Charlotte was at a year ago when she was still very much a focal point of, of pretty much everywhere you put her, whether it was Raw or SmackDown. You know, so if Charlotte was around, she was going to be a contender, and you could never really completely, you know, find a way to help, you know, put her in a position to elevate somebody else. She, she always had to be challenging or be the champion. And I said, you know, sometime late last year, earlier this year, that man, the best thing for her right now either is to take time off, which ultimately she has done. And I think that will really benefit her character. But, you know, man, the tag division really could use it. Why not put Charlotte there? Let her run rough shot with somebody. I don't know who it is, you know, and and you you might have suggested Natalia then. That's actually a really good idea uh, to go that route with them because then, you know, like what you tried to do with her, earlier this year by having her mix with the NXT brand by being the NXT women's champion again. Now you can keep her present on that NXT brand. But again, by being able to travel around, that's a great idea. And um, I mean, you could really go that route. I just, the only problem with when you do get Charlotte back is, is the tendency to always want to go back to a feud with, within the four horsewomen. They tend to do that so much. We ended up obviously getting this Sasha Bailey, a feud that finally had been play, been going on for the building for years on on Raw and then eventually on SmackDown. But you know we've seen Sasha and Charlotte, we've seen Charlotte and Bailey, we've seen Sasha and Becky, we've seen Becky and Bailey. Well, I guess we haven't really seen Becky and Bailey all that much. I guess that would be the oh, one 
we we saw that a little bit in NXT, but that's that might be the only one we never really got to see all that much. That one I wouldn't mind seeing, but you know we've seen Becky and Charlotte, so you got to figure out a way to get more than just the four horsewomen involved in these major storylines. They've done a great job this year with putting Asuka you know, on the level that she should have always been at on, uh, on Raw or SmackDown when they brought her up when she was still unbeaten. We all know she should have beat Charlotte at WrestleMania. That was a poor decision, poor call on WWE's part just because they wanted to have Carmella cash in money in the bank. That was just a dumb decision. And they paid for it because Asuka lost a lot of credibility for that that she should have already had by just being champion. So they got to find a way to get away from just being for horsewomen feuds. Yeah, and it might even be time. I don't know how you write it. You got to give it a little bit of time because one of the things, I don't know officially what brand she's gotten drafted to. Ronda Rousey is going to make a return. No, oh, you'd imagine, yeah. And... One of the things it might ultimately be time for, it might be time for four horsewomen, four, four horsewomen versus four horsewomen, where we've not gotten that. We had a big tease of it, but we've not gotten that. Yet. And it might be time for, and I thought Survivor Series would have been a great way to build up to that, was to lead into it, was to, you know, obviously now Mother Nature didn't allow for that to happen because uh, Becky Lynch pregnant, so that kind of makes it mean. Nine months of baking out. You know how the math goes. Um, I but, very much do now. <laughs> yeah. Just learned that, like, recently? No, no, no. I've I'm, I'm known this for, for oh, I guess, the last year. Basically since January. I've, I've been well aware of how it works. You just learned that, like, about a year ago? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, did. <laughs> I did some reading. Hey, look, man, I'm just trying to be funny. Why are you stepping all over me? I'm just wanting to make sure, you know. Gosh. You know, we need you're, supposed to, to, you're supposed to be my tag team partner, man. You're undercutting me here. Just You could Google that. You can ask Alexa. And I'm going to hop you. on Wikipedia. Let me hop on there right now. Oh, yeah. It's you and this Wikipedia as your sources. Got to work on that. Hey, there's but, sources on Wikipedia for the stuff on there. So, see, it's valid information. All right. Well, you do realize I. As long as there's a site. Uh, an actual like marker on there for the line in which you're reading that has an actual source. That's usually valid information. I'm just telling you from a guy who wrote college papers and still managed to use Wikipedia. Unfortunately, some of those sites actually go to like 680 the fan, even though they're talking, <laughs> about, even though they're talking about child rearing. But Woo! I digress. Um, <laughs> so let's go over to the uh, WWE, WWE Heavyweight Championship. Randy Orton, 14-time champion now, beat uh, Drew McIntyre. I like it. I'm okay with it. I, I feel like I think we're getting I think we're getting ready to see the twilight of uh, Randy Orton's career because I think it was kind of a, hey, let's give him one more good run, and I think we're getting ready to see Randy Orton go into that viper hole off, in, off into the sunset because – I think he deserves one more run. I hope not because he still he still has it. But I, I think we're at a point now where we're getting ready to see the tail end of uh, the Viper. You know, the crazy thing is, I don't know that that's necessarily true because he's arguably better now than he's ever been. I mean, he's still fantastic in the ring. 
And I think from a promo perspective, he's never been better. He's doing the best mic work that he's ever done. And he said it himself in some interviews that he's finally taking it seriously. And you can tell. You can tell that he's actually committed to what he's saying. And it actually, you know, he doesn't stumble over himself near as much. And he just, he doesn't seem like he's just quoting a script. It's like almost like he's got it. You know, he's living the promo now more so than he really ever has. So I almost feel like he's only he might have a few more good years at the top of the of his game here and can be that main event guy when WWE needs main eventers right now. Cena's, Cena's not around anymore. You need uh, – Triple H is not a regular competitor anymore. You need a guy like Randy Orton to help bring up the next, the next generation. And part of that is being a world champion that can drop the title too, you know, hopefully down the road now to re-elevate Drew McIntyre again. I don't mind Randy Orton being champion. I like the, I love the idea of him being champion when it started coming out this summer that maybe they were going that route with it. I didn't hate it at all. What I didn't like is the last two, when you look at the last two pay-per-views in this, in this feud, how Drew McIntyre was booked. I, I hated the Clash of Champions booking. We talked about this on the air on the, on the live show that, you know, you, you worked in the legends. I get that you were trying to kind of bring the storyline back full circle, but it, I mean, it was basically Drew McIntyre and a cast of, uh, you know, legends beating down Randy Orton. So it didn't make Drew McIntyre look like this conquering hero. And then I get that you, you did a good job of kind of selling the injuries to Drew and he did take the tumble through the table and everything. But Randy Orton gets him clean and hell in a cell. I get it. It's hell in a cell and, you know, all things can happen. It's really hard to cheat to win in that. But to see Drew lose the title to Randy and that by way of just a clean pinfall, I guess to me that, you know, Drew's the future. It's not Randy Horton, ultimately, the, 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 the further future at least. You had to kind of protect Drew, and I don't know that they did a good job of that. Is Drew McIntyre the future is the question. Keep in mind. Drew McIntyre's in his 40s. He's not exactly a spring chicken. So when you're talking about wrestlers that are up there, and he's in great shape. I'm not taking that away from him. He's not one of the younger wrestlers. Once again, I, I look at someone, AJ Styles, not another young wrestler. They are great stars that are in their not, prime. Not to cut you off, Drew McIntyre is 35. Okay, I thought he was older. He's a year. Was... He's a year older than me. So, but yeah, I mean, he's really he's kind of got to the prime of his career. It's not like he's going to be the guy that's going to carry the company for the next twenty years, but he can be the guy to carry the company for the next ten. I don't think he can do the next ten, or maybe the next five. But do you need him to? Well, who else is going to do it? Well, if you're looking across the brands, it's someone we talked about before, Biggie Langston. Uh, Seth Rollins can do another run. You're looking at uh, what's his name, Murphy. Who did you just say, Murphy? I did say Murphy as a guy that can carry the company. As a guy who can get an opportunity, he. What have we gotten from Murphy so far? A cruiserweight title run. That's it. A tag team with uh, what was the Wesley Blake on NXT. Uh, also, let's not forget. There's still a guy named Adam Cole, baby. He's still out <laughs> yeah. there. There are still I think there's so many others that this is not to take away from Drew McIntyre and not to say he couldn't do it. I don't think you need him to. I think it'd be great to have him. I think he'd still be great to be there if he can do 
you know, kind of like a like a, a Randy Orton did, go in, come out, go in, come out. But you don't need him to. I think you have so much talent sitting there at NXT that, you know, look, I'll even throw another name out there that I myself, I, I, I know I need to wait for things to play out. Velveteen Dream. You you have talent that's sitting there that when I look and when I say Drew McIntyre's age, I don't say it to be disrespectful. I say that to say I can get it out of a guy who's in his twenties versus a guy who's in his thirties, whom I might only get two or three more years from, where I can get it out of a guy. Look at look how long Seth Rollins' run has been going for. Look how long Randy Orton's run has been going for. Take those older guys and get a run out of that. And this is not, you know, if Road Dog was here, he, he'd say, oh, you just hate the older wrestlers. No, I don't <laughs> hate the older wrestlers. It's just, why not give a, you got younger guys that are there. Let the younger talent know that, hey, you're valued and they're doing something. Well, no, sure. And I mean, you look at a guy like Seth Rollins, who, by the way, is a year younger than Drew McIntyre. So right around the same age, but he's had to run longer. Yeah, they started with him a little younger, but it took, sometimes with these guys, man, it takes, it takes a few years for them to kind of figure it all out. And I think that's obviously what happened with Drew. He had to get cut and go off on the independent scene to figure out what he was going to be as a wrestler moving forward. But the fact that it's like in the way the wrestling business is now, you're looking at an era where, you know, age doesn't matter the same way that it did. You know, back in the day when, guys in the NWA were trying to tell Ric Flair that he was too old and he was just right around 40 and he was freaking Ric Flair, right? You know, AJ Styles has been one of the focal points of WWE for the last several years. He's been world champion multiple times and you're right. He's in his 40s. Do you see AJ Styles as a guy that looks like he needs to retire in the next 10 years? I mean, dude doesn't look any close to slowing down. He's arguably as good as he's ever been. So when you look at Drew being 35, if, if Drew McIntyre doesn't need to be the guy you know, nonstop for the next five, 10 years, then neither does Roman Reigns, who's the exact same age. There's, I mean, it's the same difference here. It's a matter of whether or not he needs to be, but whether he will be. And I think WWE sees Drew McIntyre, and they've always seen him as that, obviously, with the chosen one gimmick they saddled him with right off the bat. They saw him as a future guy. That's what Vince looks for. He looks for his guys. He's got Roman Reigns. Now they figured out how to put a, how to put a new lease on Roman Reigns' career with this new heel run. They figured out how to, you know, Roman or Drew McIntyre went and reinvented himself, came back, and is as good as he's ever been. Now they've got him. So it's a matter of, do, you know, is he their guy? And if he is, then yeah, you've got to make sure that he's taken care of so that you don't see, you know, a fan base that loses confidence in what you think of him. Yeah, I agree with that, and I'm not taking anything. And like I said, I'm not taking anything away from Drew. Maybe because I see that there's so much more talent that's out there that I look at it and I think somebody else too. Look to its oh. credit, before we got the new lease on Roman Reigns, yeah, kind of felt the same way about Roman Reigns. Sure, absolutely. Uh, and Drew McIntyre's literally just had his first run. You know, think of how long exactly. Roman Reigns was shoved down our throat in that babyface role where he was just the guy. Well, Drew's just now become the guy, so I think he's got at least a another couple of years before he becomes the guy that we're like, okay, we're tired of you, Drew. But think about it though. You talked about it how Randy's been that guy that you know in and out, but he's there when he need, when you need to put somebody over. Well, that's the thing. If these guys, these older guys like Randy Orton, if AJ Styles is going to be kind of out of the picture eventually, 
you need somebody's got to be the one to put over this the the new guys that you want to see elevated the big E's and I'm not even going to say Murphy because I don't ever see that happening but you know Adam Cole somebody's got to be able to put them over and Drew McIntyre can be that guy because we know as great as good as he's been as a babyface this year Drew McIntyre can be a monster nasty heel and that's where that up and coming guy no, like I mean, a big no, go ahead you also have that guy who's already there he's the father of Friday night. He's your Monday Night Messiah. Is it? Are they going to officially call him the SmackDown? There's like Savior of SmackDown because you can't call him the Savior Friday Night Messiah, Smackdown. the SmackDown Savior, he, or just your, that guy that, that uh, he's your, likes to take out eyeballs. And I think he's another one that, and I, and maybe that's the way I look at it. Whether you like this character of Seth Rollins, Seth Rollins' character right now is intriguing. You look at it. Randy Orton, whether you like Randy Orton with or without a belt, you look at him. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned that Drew McIntyre can just dis- fall into the background very easily. It, it's, you know, better example. And this is the best comparison I can give it to. The Miz's character, with or without a title, has always been intriguing and interesting yes. and fun to watch. Miz is not a, he's not an uh, imposing figure. He's a good wrestler. He's not the greatest wrestler. He's a good storyteller. But with or without a title, The Miz has been intriguing. You wanted to see everything he was involved in. I'm afraid. I don't know if I... And because I'm just getting it with Sheamus... I mean, Sheamus, excuse me, Drew McIntyre. (laughs) That's another example of someone. Sheamus, without a title? Sheamus is just a big dude. Yeah. Drew McIntyre, without the belt, he's just a big dude with a good with a weird kick and I look at when I look at those guys of Randy Orton Seth Rollins uh, uh, The Miz I think guys that they don't need the belt and I still want to see what they can do Roman Reigns without the belt I don't really care what Roman Reigns is doing at that point in time if he's not at the beginning of the show or the end of the show I really don't care what Roman Reigns is doing Heck, Jeff Hardy, for some odd reason, is compelling to me. And I, I, I have no clue why. As, as Colwell does the Jeff Hardy dance. <laughs> so you're intrigued by the uh, Elias, Jeff Hardy it's feud, then? Official, that's a dance step. Well, no, it's not really a dance step. But uh, no, 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 I see your, I see your point. I'm intrigued. Yeah, I see your point, though, because, I mean... I see. I guess that's maybe my concern with Drew losing the title. Okay, now that he's no longer champion, what does that mean? You know, where do you go with this character from here? Do you have it in to rally behind him against anybody else that he would go up against? I absolutely see your point there, and and it's almost you know a good comparison is did anybody really care about Dave Batista when he wasn't world champion? I certainly didn't. Exactly. Batista was exactly. was the guy that when he was the champion, man, he was. You know, you either wanted him to stay champion or you wanted him to lose. He needed the title for me to want to, and I'm a Batista fan. Batista needed the title for me to want to watch him. Stone Cold didn't need the title, and I still watch Stone Cold all the time. It was Stone Cold here. The Rock didn't need the title. I watched The Rock. Heck, even Undertaker. Off again, on again, there were points in time. Someone else, and a name that you're going to laugh at me when I say this, not all of it, 
but there were large stretches of it. Mark Henry. Mark Henry without the title, there were times where I just watched Mark Henry just to – I knew he was, was a jobber, but there were times with Mark Henry, there were moments of, let's just see what he does, what he has here. Because without the title, at least it was intri- – I won't even say it was intriguing. It was just kind of – you knew he was around the corner from the next thing. I don't know – if they're not – if Drew McIntyre's not booked properly, he's going to fade into obscurity very quickly. Well, he's very much the case of – a good build to WrestleMania is what set him on the rocket ship that he was on. It had being the guy that could say I eliminated Brock Lesnar when he was on an absolute tear in the Royal Rumble. That puts me there. Oh, and I've got this story of how I left. I was part of Three Band Band and an absolute joke. I left the company. I came back better than ever, and I worked my tail off. I deserve this. So beyond that, yeah, you're right. It's not like. You know, Drew McIntyre champion, intriguing. Drew McIntyre, you know, it, I guess you got to see a development, further development in his character. I think he's got the ability to do it, and I think they can absolutely go the direction with him because I think, you know, he's a good promo. Um, he's gotten so much better in that department, whereas he wasn't that great before. And he puts on great matches, man, and he's got the look. So he's definitely got the potential to do that. I just, I see him, and I think they've seen it all along as him being the guy to be sort of the kingpin of, of either the WWE or the Universal title for years to come. And maybe that's why he's not going to need that proper build because he's eventually, you know, he could easily win another Rumble. He could find himself in that position again. So I, I don't know. I guess that was why I felt like he needed to be protected a little bit more than other characters, I, I suppose, because you want him to still be seen as credible as, okay, that that's the guy that should be the champion. He should be in that position where, why did they, you know, how, he lost that title unfairly and he can't seem to, you know, he keeps getting screwed out of getting it back instead of, oh, I just got beat by somebody that was better on me on that night. Oh, well, I guess I'll get the title back one day. And that's why I say, I, I don't know if he's the future because even I could easily, just as easily make the argument, someone who is the future and I, I hope he continues to get the push he deserves, Keith Lee. He's the big, imposing, new big guy. I like his personality. I don't understand the cadence in which he talks. It makes him come across like he is a snobby ultra-intellectual. But I like Keith Lee. And I like what we saw from Keith Lee with Brock Lesnar. I like what we're seeing with Keith Lee where we're seeing the athleticism, the size, the ability, the the ability on the microphone. I I'm even not opposed to even right now. Maybe this would be the answer to both questions. Be fun to watch. I don't know how you would book it. Keith Lee, Drew McIntyre, tag team champions. Well, there's history there. They uh, they I guess wrestled when both were part of the Evolve company uh, when Drew was out on the independence, but. I mean, you could definitely go that route. I mean, why not? It's, you know, a couple of singles guys will throw them together and make the tag titles matter for a split second, you know, just like they always seem to do. You know, let's why actually book in a solid tag division when you can just take two singles guys that, well, we don't really have anything for them to do individually. Oh, let's put them together so we can eventually break them up and feud them. Yeah. Exactly. So speaking of tag teams, one of the things we talked about that we would do on this podcast is we were going to talk about reboots of tag teams that were just epic fails. Now, what came out of this 
is uh, in the last one, if you guys haven't gone back and listened to the previous version of What the are you Finish doing? Move, yeah, shame on you. Um, we were talking, you brought up Harlem Heat 2000. <laughs> and so it made me think, tag teams that got rebooted in some way, shape, form, or fashion in the best way possible, however they were booked, uh, and were just turned out to be epic fail. And the first one that comes to mind for me is they actually came up with two versions of it, and I hated both of them. The Legion of Doom with Puke and the Legion <laughs> of Doom with Hided Reich. Oh, gosh. I hated both of those. Yep. Absolutely. I, I, I don't. I don't. And Hide and Reich was post Hawk passing away, wasn't it? I can't remember. Yeah, Hide and Reich was right after uh, Hawk had pr- passed away like two years prior. And it was right around the time that WWE released the uh, documentary DVD of the LOD. So it was right on the forefront of everybody's minds. Like, hey, how can we use animal? Ooh, we got this Heidenreich guy that's really creepy that likes to read poems and for some reason hangs out with kids after matches. Let's put him with animal. That's a good idea. Epic fail. Even, but prior to that, as animal was going through his battles with uh, drug and alcohol abuse, I believe he had. Well, that was Hawk. That you're, you're talking about the Hawk, sorry, combination. Hawk. Yeah, it was Hawk. Yeah, I'm sorry, Hawk. I apologize. It was Hawk. Um, was going through his his battle, I think in real life, I don't think it was just a storyline, with drug and alcohol abuse and addiction, uh, they put him with puke. And let's just say Ahmed Johnson, as a part of the Legion of Doom, was a better makeup than puke and Hyde and Wright combined. Yeah, I, I could not agree more because it just... <laughs> Poor Darren Drozdov. They tried with him, you know, and unfortunately he suffered that gruesome, uh, paralyzing injury in that match years ago. But um, it's just, you know, they tried to figure out a way to utilize him, and that was that was not the way to go. But then again, they tried no. to salvage Heidenreich, and that didn't work either. So, you know, you just can't. <laughs> Anytime you go, the you try to insert somebody new into a group as stable a tag team and and phase one out or maybe one is not you know with us or just aren't able to be a part of it it never works and i'll give you a case in point it's a very close comparison based on the face paint and everything demolition if you remember this is going way back the original demolition axe and smash well, when the Road Warriors, as LOD, came to WWE, they decided, well, we need to make they they got to be the baby faces here. So even on Demolition is like our version, and they're the heroes right now. They need to be the bad guys here. But what better way to make them bad guys than by giving them the numbers advantage? Let's add a third member named Crush. And eventually, Crush. part of the thing there was that you're going to phase out Axe because Axe apparently was dealing with some injuries some health issues, so we're going to phase him more of a managerial role, and the team's going to be smash and crush. And eventually, Axe was completely gone, and they were back with Mr. Fuji, who they started with years prior. Nobody gave a crap anymore, and they were jobbing out to the, I want to say it was a version of the Orient Express, which, try to give a tag team that name nowadays. I don't think that would work too well, but... At WrestleMania 7, so just completely a disaster of a trial there where you tried to go with them. Um, another one that comes to mind, too, for me, the New Rockers. Marty That's Gennetti, what I was thinking about, too. 
Leaf Cassidy, who eventually been, became known as Al Snow. Yeah, fart in church. It, it was it was bad. That was really, really bad. Another one that comes to mind, they I don't know if it was a reboot. I don't think it was, now that I think about it, but it was a tag team that was I won't even call them bad. It was just weird. Was was it Billy Gunn and uh where he got married to his tag team partner? Billy and Chuck? Yes. Where initially, remember, they started off where they were supposed to be the new smoking guns. Right. Because Billy and Bart had gone had parted ways. Billy had done DX and Billy had gone a different ways and Bart was gone from the WWE. He Yeah, he, he got knocked out by Butterbean and that was it. Butterbean yeah. <laughs> laid him out and that was it for him. After that, there was no coming back from that. And so they they we were gonna do the smoking gun and that gimmick lasted. I literally think they only did one match and that when uh Billy just was kinda like, No, you know, it's run its course and so they made them into a uh life partner. Politically correct way to say it. Uh, it was very suggestive and innuendo based. Although, as we found out when they did their wedding thing, their ceremony commitment, hey man, <laughs> we don't like each other like that. What are you talking about? It was all a publicity stunt. Oh, okay, so what, that was some weird stuff y'all were doing all that time. I thought <laughs> I actually liked the initial pairing of uh, Chuck Palumbo and Billy Gunn when they were coming. I think Billy Gunn is it's post post invasion. The Alliance was dead. Chuck Palumbo mm-hmm. coming from WCW. Uh, Billy Gunn wasn't really doing anything, and it kind of, I don't know, I liked the pairing initially, but, you know, <laughs> that storyline was was definitely out there uh, for the time at least, and then you added in Rico as the manager with the, the best chops in the business. <laughs> and it just, man... And they were they very pretty much dominated the tag team division there for the better part of two thousand two. Oh yeah, uh, I mean there was uh, who who were they going to take on? Uh, well, initially was- they had some teams until the until you had, did the initial brand split because you at WrestleMania they they beat the Hardys, the Dudleys, and the Acolytes or the APA uh, to, to, to retain the title. So you still had some good teams. They'd had a tag team turmoil the month before, I think. Uh, with with uh, some other teams in there, so there were still teams around. But then when they did the brand split, they split the Dudleys. They, I don't think they split the Hardys yet, but they were going the singles route with them. You didn't have Edge and Christian anymore. You split the APA. So yeah, yeah that bad then the you likes, didn't have anybody. <laughs> they were taking on the likes of uh, who was the tag team where their manager was Cherry. They were they were like the seventies guys. They wore leather oh. jackets. Well, you're talking about Deuce and Domino, but that was that was years that was years later, and I don't even, Billy and Chuck weren't even a tag team any, anymore. I was gonna say I thought they took them on, but it, it shows you know WWE they they continue to neglect the tag team division, and at some point in time you're gonna have to give it some real respect because you have some good tag teams there now with the Street Profits, with mm-hmm. the New Day, with the Hurt Business, which it's time to I don't care what combination you put together you got to give them a tag team title run because they've earned it. And whatever you're going to do at Retribution, you need to go ahead and let that die on the vine. Oh, dear Lord. Here, you know, you're talking about to Billy Gunn and, and his brother, quote-unquote, storyline brother Bart. Here's one for you. How about the new Midnight Express? This was part of the NWA invasion of WWF oh, yeah. in 1998. Bodacious, I think it was Bodacious Bob, Bob Holly, 
and bombast no sorry bodacious bart gun and bombastic, bombastic bob, bob holly who were managed AKA, by of course james e cornett aka sparky plug aka uh, bob yes. spark plug holly aka hardcore, hardcore holly. holly how do you like me now oh goodness gracious that poor guy went through crap until he finally found his niche in the hardcore division. And then became the hard-nosed trainer of uh, WWE Tough enough. Tough enough. Yes, man. He was great on there, too. He's just, everybody, man, <laughs> that's a tough dude. It takes everybody a little bit of time to find their niche, I guess. You know what? I think the what might have been the best moment of Bob Holly's career. Remember the Royal Rumble... I guess it was 05. It was right after Daniel Pewter won Tough Enough, and but he had that bad reputation in the locker room, he, and so they put him in the Rumble with Chris Benoit, Hardcore Holly, and Eddie Guerrero. They chopped the crap out of him for a good solid five minutes straight before they threw him out. It was like, welcome to the show, kid. You can't come here and be arrogant. You can't come here and be cocky. Don't be a little punk. Don't Why? embarrass Kurt Angle. We're going to show you that right here, right now. Because they loved Maven. Remember, when Maven won, they were huge fans of his. I mean, they tried to push Maven, and he didn't even have true wrestling gear. He came out in jogging pants and Jordan. But he eliminated The Undertaker. He didn't even have proper wrestling attire. No, he did not. No, he did uh, not. Good old WWE. Well, that'll do it for this edition of The Finishing Move, The Dark Matches. Honestly, we can actually call this the finishing move, the multiple rabbit. <laughs> if you ever wonder what a wrestling conversation is like between myself and my tag team partner, Chris Colwell, it's kind of in the nutshell. We, 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 we pulled back the curtain. We, we just mic'd ourselves up in the, in the bullpen area of 6A The Fan, and this is what it sounds like. And if you throw in Road Dog, it gets even crazier. And every once in a while, we let the intern come around. So, Well, you guys can tune into the finishing move on Extra 106.3 every Thursday. You can hear us this Thursday from 7 to 8 p.m. Myself, Big John Radcliffe, my tag team partner, Chris Colwell, and the third member of this stable, Road Dog, Adam Gillespie. We will be together. We will go over Hell in a Cell. We will go over the top rope as we always do because we have to figure out why is The Rock drinking his own blood? Why is he hell? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was a little random. A little bit, but we're going to go over it. That's how we go over the top rope. And until then, you can follow us on social media. I'm at JohnRad450. Chris, where can they find you? Well, you've forgotten already. You did good at the beginning of the show. At Bearded Colwell. Well, at that point, that leaves me doing a lot of talking, and I don't get paid by the word. But can you remember the official Twitter of The Finishing Move? Wrestle Extra. Very well done, sir. Very well done. Go follow us on your podcast platforms too Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also, go check out the undercard. The so there's like Raw and SmackDown, and then there's NXT, which is the other guys' podcast. Yes, that falls in that falls into the NXT category. We we are not we are not the developmental podcast, but we are the third podcast (laughs) of the show. Let it be known. 
yes, check it out. We uh, we're talking. Uh, we're to, you know if if on the finishing move we're talking WWE and we're talking AEW we're taking it down a little bit of a notch. We talk a little bit more about Impact Wrestling. We talk a lot more about NXT there on that podcast. We also do eventually get into AEW as well. So if you want to hear a little bit on so the uh, said, on the outskirts, you can listen just, to other guys' podcasts. So what he he just said it himself. He takes it down a notch. So they go. It's the lower brand. It's the developmental brand. No, we're not saying we're the uh, we're the top guys, but we're definitely not the developmental podcast. I'm not taking it down. We're not being demoted. We're not being sent down to the minors. We're just, you know, we're the alternative of the finishing move. Well, when he ends up with Europeans on there, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Europeans we don't know about. When he ends up with all these different wrestlers that everyone's like, where'd they come from? <laughs> Have they been rebranded? That's when you know you're you're listening when, to the other guy. When we have Ilya Dragunov as a guest on the finishing move, and I don't don't even know if he speaks English. When you have Wade Barrett on, and you're thinking, "Weren't you fired?" <laughs> I'm afraid we got some bad news. Joining us on the show this week. Oh goodness! <laughs> well, until next time, guys. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Tune in, Extra 106.3. Download the Extra 106.3 app. Tap that app. Take us with you wherever you go. You can listen to us anywhere. Follow us on social media. Download, subscribe, and also leave a comment. Tell us what you think about it. If you don't like it, Road Dog will come and choke slam you. No, he won't. And it, okay, well, you should have. No, no, no. I'd like to see him show up and try. That will actually, if he shows up to try, make sure you get the video of it as you actually knock him down on his face. Uh, whatever happens happens as long as you don't hurt me (laughs) and until next time we'll talk to you soon guys thank you for joining us we'll slam you later